We can be dream makers, nurturing, compassionate. Nosotros podemos ser más unidos. We can be anything. I'm Grant Oliphant. This is We Can Be. And today we have the story of Mila Sanina. Mila leads Public Source, a new model for nonpartisan, in-depth, digital-based journalism. Born in the Soviet Union, raised in Kazakhstan with a journey that included a dairy farm in Wisconsin, intimidation on her first journalism job, and CNN before making her way to Pittsburgh, Mila truly has a story like no one else. You were working at the Times in Central Asia mm -hmm. and had an experience of being told to back off or yeah. else, right? Can you say a little bit about that? Right. Kyrgyzstan was the most, I would say, scariest exposure to journalism, where now, looking back, I think I walked a very dangerous line. Actually, the article was about the fraudulent election, and I did have a source that had a very detailed information about what the fraud looked like from the inside. And it was supposed to be a series of articles, but ended up not running because I got a call. And the person never named him, but he told me that my mom leaves work at 7.53 usually, and she drives this car, and that's the address of your work. This is where we live. Although you don't really know how credible is the threat, you never want to hurt people you love. It's really tough to be bold and courageous when the life and the well-being of the people you care about most is in question. And for a few years, I regretted that maybe I should have been much more bold and brave and more courageous. But, you know, like there is a question, is journalism worth dying for in Russia? You know, the cost of a good journalism is that you become a pariah, it can end up in trial, you end up with a bullet or in jail. And, you know, you can talk all you want about Russia, which was all a, you know, fake news fabricated deal to try and make up for the loss of the Democrats. And it's all fake news. It's all fake news. The public gets it, you know. Look, when I go to rallies, they turn around, they start screaming at CNN. They want to throw their placards at CNN, you know. Donald Trump rants and raves at the press. I'm not ranting and raving. I'm just telling you, you know, you're dishonest people. But, but, I want to see an honest press. When I started off today by saying that it's so important to the public to get an honest press. The press, the public doesn't believe you people anymore. Now, maybe I had something to do with that. I don't know. We forgot that the production of public service journalism is really important for our society. It is about truth. Because without truth, we don't have trust. Without trust, we don't have the rule of law. And without the rule of law, we don't have democracy. We need to make public service journalism a movement. Please, help us make it a movement. Help us speak truth to power. That was Mila speaking at TEDx Pittsburgh in July 2017. Journalism, especially investigative journalism, is in a precarious place in our country right now. The traditional business model of print media is in a serious decline, and the way we consume news has shifted. The rise of new media, especially social media, has helped to proliferate news that is truly fake. 
and readers often have trouble discerning what's fact, what's opinion, and what is a flat-out lie. Public Source's mission is to provide stories based on investigative research and exhaustive fact-checking. Honest, truthful journalism has been a key construct of our democratic society for the entirety of the United States' existence. Mila understands the importance of a free press to prevent corruption and disenfranchisement. As you've heard, her work for The Times was undermined in the totalitarian state of Kyrgyzstan. Prior to that, Mila and her family lived in the Soviet Union before its fall. My mom is a rebel rouser. I would like to think that there is part of my mom's traits in me. The courage that she always had of saying what's right and wrong. I only aspire to be uh, like her. I know that what's right is not always popular. And making the leap to tell truth sometimes is very painful. Your story in getting to Pittsburgh and even to journalism is kind of an unlikely one. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like. So I was born in the Soviet Union and raised in independent Kazakhstan. And I grew up in that turbulent time for the state while it was figuring out what it's going to be. And, you know, I was lucky in being raised in the family that really cherished education. My mom always believed that education was the most important thing that she could give me. We were not coming from a very rich family, and my mom actually went to this linguistic gymnasium, which was a lyceum, where they would teach you different languages, and she went to the principal and she said, my girl is really talented, she should be studying here. And uh, the principal asked her, how can you help the school? And my mom said, well, my husband can paint and can create all these murals. I think that he can support your school that way. So that's how I got into school. My uncle thought that my mom was crazy, that you are putting your child in the situation where all the kids are going to have their chauffeurs and she's going to ride the bus to the school. But it was a, a great experience. When people meet you now, they meet somebody who's international and well-traveled and well-educated. You speak four languages, you know, a cosmopolitan person who knows an awful lot and has worked in journalism at high levels. But as a child, you had none of that. And there was even a moment where you worked as a street vendor, I think. Is that right? I was. It was shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union. At that point, my family really needed support in diversifying, I guess, our revenue stream. At that point, a lot of people took it upon themselves to find their own livelihood. My mom went to Pakistan, brought some goods. It was like from, you know, T-shirts to women's shoes and toothbrushes and some Snickers bars. And I would walk around the lunch break and be like, Snickers, Snickers, and then toothbrushes. Anybody needs toothbrushes? So those were the days. There was also a period when my mom went into auto parts, and I used to sell mufflers and shock absorbers from our apartment when I was 12. Is that right? Yeah. Now, on the street vendor side, is it true that you sometimes wore rollerblades so you could yeah. run away from the authorities? That is true. That is true. Rollerblades were a very good technique. And also making friends with old ladies. They knew exactly the time when the cops are going to show up. Mila made her way to the United States as a high school exchange student and lived with her host family on a dairy farm. Was living on a dairy farm an interesting change at all? Oh, yeah. It was a culture shock. As I like to say, I had a triple culture shock. I didn't speak English that well. 
I have never lived on a dairy farm. I grew up in a big city and in a completely different culture. Even TV programming was a little bit wild because my exposure to journalism was that you watch TV late at night, you look at an anchor, she or he is very, very serious, feeding you propaganda, but you it's believable because of the way it's sort of fed to you. And I ended up in a household that watched quite a bit of Fox News, and I was like, I was completely shocked. Like, how can you be bombarded by so many opinions and also so passionately, sometimes loudly and offensively presented? I was not used to that type of information. So already at this stage of your life, you've experienced the collapse of the country that you were born to, doesn't exist anymore, the birth of a new country, studying in the United States, going back and attending university in a country that went through a revolution. And somewhere along the way, you developed this passion for reporting. The way that uh, journalism, I guess, uh, got into me was actually my Wisconsin experience, albeit the Soviet education was fantastic. You were not assessed based off of, you know, how well did you understand or how complex the characters were or how well did you really maybe think it through, but more of what the critics said. So when I remember when I was in the class in Wisconsin, I took American Lit. I'm sitting in this class and people are just like raising their hands and just like speaking out of like the opinions. And I'm like, this is wild. This is really wild. All of that like came into play. And I was so intrigued and fascinated yeah. by all of these ideas that I was bombarded and exposed to. When I went back uh, to Kazakhstan, I ended up applying for a degree at the American University in Kyrgyzstan. And I got introduced to reporting journalism. I started experimenting with writing. And, and actually, in Kyrgyzstan, the reason why I ended up not finishing the degree there was the, because the revolution happened there. And I ended up just leaving everything behind, getting into a cab and coming back home. So you made the decision at that point to leave. Yeah, and I thought, I have no future here. And if I do have a future, and it's not going to be journalism, I should go into policy. That's where my idealism could find its roots. But then you decided to come to the United States, to Pittsburgh, in fact, for graduate mm -hmm. work. And was it for journalism or for the continuation of the policy work? It was policy. I had an, a mentor who said, well, Mila, why don't you start a journal? Because my frustration was that, well, in academia, we talk a lot about great ideas, we do great research, but it's all in the ivory tower. And a lot of it, you know, there's certain kind of writing that comes in academia, and it's not necessarily very understandable writing. And in a way, sometimes mumbo-jumbo. And I thought, well, I'm going to create a journal that actually is against that stereotype, and we're going to publish very serious articles, but they're going to be, you know, a combination of interesting concepts, personalities, in a very understandable language. When I was doing a story, I interviewed the Professor Goldstein, who passed away recently, but he was very popular on campus. But he said one thing, well, Mila, I don't care what you're going to do with your life, but my advice to you is get the pencil that works and get out into this world. And I'm like, this is, this is my calling. 
So, and that's how I ended up thinking, you know, Goldie's right. This feels right to me. That's what I should be doing. I love the work. I forget to eat. I forget to sleep. I love it. So that's how I ended up pursuing my passion. I'm really fascinated in the composition and structure of language. And I find it fascinating in how ideas and words and stories can change our chemistry and can change our brain cells and then character too. So you followed a course coming out of your graduate degree into journalism. So that side won out over the policy side, although you merged the two because you worked for CNN and then for PBS NewsHour, uh, had a high-level editorial position at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And yet you were intrigued at a critical moment when Public Source was looking for a new leader, and you decided to make the leap from traditional journalism into online journalism. Tell us a little bit about why. There are a lot of challenges that have been confronting me that made that decision to try my fate with Public Source. I was inside the newsroom of a very print-oriented organization. Whomever is heading a publication has a lot of power. The editorial, the opinions that we are selectively featuring, all of that matters. Mm. I, I saw that the business was contradictory to the mission of what the newspaper is about. And I thought, do I want to be associated with that? Was Public Source a purer form of journalism for you, or was it a more socially-minded form of journalism for you? Yes, I think that that's why it's Public Source. When I started, I thought that the name was not ideal, but, you know, I fell in love with it, and uh -huh. I think it actually represents the mission of what I would love Public Source to be. The need of journalism, I do think, is local. And that's where the solutions and the laboratory of what works and what doesn't is possible. What also is possible is reconceptualizing what journalism is about. Traditionally and increasingly in the past year, it has become such an alienated institution that people see journalism happening at them, not with them. Can I'm you, not going to give you a can question. You can you stay categorically? You are fake news. Sir, Go ahead. can you stay categorically that... President-elect Trump today told CNN's Jim Acosta that his organization amounts to fake news. Fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news. Fake news and fake media. Yep, more fake news fueled by BS, perpetuated by the mainstream media, just another day in paradise. It, you're saying it's a falsehood. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts. president and others have attacked the media for what they call bias and they're attacking journalists for being enemies of the people themselves and they're labeling them all as fake news. Mm -hmm. How does it feel to be a journalist in this moment, to be attacked in that way? How do you process that as a journalist and, and an immigrant? In a weird way, it's actually self-assuring. And the only reason is because there are still people who stand up and say that it's not right. Mm -hmm. That there is a certain very important function that the First Amendment is playing in this society. And it's not right to be treating journalism 
or journalists that way. This is the society where there are still people in our community and you know beyond that really believe in the fundamental role that the free press plays. Interestingly, as we were building and hoping that the internet is going to be panacea to open information and right. all of that, truth is being drowned in the irrelevant noise and stories that are of very minor meaning to the life of our communities because mm. we're not paying attention to things that really matter. If there is so much noise that people are drowning in the noise and they're writing off news left and right because of that and they're identifying with their echo chambers where they're looking for the places that basically just affirm what they believe anyway, how do you break through that? I think it's through community building. I do believe that online world has given us a lot of freedom, but it's still really necessary to be engaging with people on the person-to-person -person level. What we are trying to do at Public Source is not only be informing and educating, but also engaging in the real time, right? Convening communities of shared interest. DACA, the whole program, is something really, really positive for the government and for everyone. But then, with now with the whole Trump administration, it's, we're just seen as terrible people. That was Hortensia, a dreamer living in Pittsburgh who was featured in a public source video. Public Source examines polarizing national conversations and looks at how they affect those on the community level. Sometimes, like Hortensia, the subjects lack what Mila calls agency. Public Source helps to give the power of agency and the power of voice back to those most affected by the national dialogue. People know that if they have a story, they come to us because they trust us. They know that we would take steps necessary to report it, to fact check it, and to follow that story and get committed to it. I mean, unfortunately, even within the communities, right, it's a very hard process because as stakeholders and advocates are trying to design a solution for one or another problem. Everybody has his or her own agenda. And sometimes people have a way that they want the story to be told. And even then we can piss people off and mm -hmm. be dismissed as, you know, well, you didn't really cover it accurately or you didn't present the way I thought the story should be written. But there also should be a recognition that there is a lot of thought that you are not seeing that goes on before article gets published, that there is a fact-checking process, that there is a lot of evaluation as we are talking to a lot of people and doing the stakeholder analysis. The truth is that Truth is, it will piss you off, but it will set you free. And you might see the side that you are not seeing if you are reading as, as comprehensive of an analysis of situation as possible. We have faced that in a lot of ways. I mean, even like look at our local stories. Amazon, you take any development story, you take lead in water stories. All of those stories have a lot of stakeholders that have their opinion. The best we can do is take it all in do a lot of analysis, do a, a proper fact-checking that is existing in our newsroom, and then produce it. You know, it's interesting from a funder's perspective, we get blowback from funding activist groups 
uh, and we get blowback from funding you because of the questions that you ask and the role that you're willing to play. And of course, we're delighted to get that because it says that the value we're seeking to have delivered is being delivered. You're asking questions that are uncomfortable and posing difficult and challenging thoughts to the community. And somebody who might be listening to this program who isn't familiar with public source and and they're looking at the news landscape. Local news is all about crimes and fires on TV. The news that they might get on the internet is suspect. What would I get from public source that I wouldn't get from those other sources? We wouldn't give you sports. Uh, we wouldn't <laughs> give you fires and traffic. Uh, we don't cover weather, we cover climate. We don't cover crime, we cover trends in violence. We do spend a lot of time with documents and records. So those type of investigative deep dives you definitely would get from public source. Another aspect of our storytelling is that we do want to expand our newsroom and made it a community newsroom. What is the challenge is to actually shift the perception of the community that journalism is happening at them and open up and make it an almost an open source newsroom where people are invested in the stories that we are covering. And it has been happening. That's why our audience has grown exponentially, you know, from 20,000 to now 60,000. But I think the convening of conversations is also something that you'd get from public source that you will not necessarily get from local newspaper. There is also uh, one component that I think we have been working really diligently on inviting youth to see themselves as future journalists. What worries me as a journalist is that it's very rare that I meet a person who says, I want to be a journalist. It breaks my heart that, like journalism, on top of having a business problem, there are very few people who see themselves in that profession. And I think that this allows youth to see themselves as journalists are holding those in power accountable, giving voice to the voiceless, covering the communities mm -hmm. they care about. I'm, I think back to the founders of the Republic, Thomas Jefferson and others speaking about the importance of the fourth estate. And if you look at the evidence around the world and in your own experience where there is weak or no journalism, there is corruption, there is abuse of government power, there's tyranny those things grow in places. And we see it in the United States and in communities, small and large, and at the national level. But that's different from saying that the profession will continue to exist. Do you think the profession will continue to exist? I am an optimist, and I, I would like to think that the future will exist. It will not look like today, or it will not look like yesterday, but it will create a model for itself. And I do think that it will only come through the readers reclaiming the value and their own agency and seeing worth in it. Because the First Amendment is only good as long as we reinstate and practice it and live it. So I would like to think uh, there is a very positive and prosperous future for journalism. Can you think about any particular person or people whose lives you've seen be touched by the work you're doing at Public Source? Yeah, so actually we just recently covered a story about the Hill 
and what kind of development is happening there and through the eyes of Brenda Tate, who used to be a police officer. And we followed her. She sort of gave an interesting perspective on, you know, on the opioid epidemic, on the controversies in the Hill. And uh, after that, she actually said that this article is making big rounds in the community, reframing the conversation. She sent us flowers, which, you know, something that you don't always get as a journalist. Are we supposed to accept it? Because, you know, it's like it's a weird gift of recognition. But she did say that you made me feel like my life is worth something. And I have a lot to say about what my community is about and what it has come to, you know, and how it has developed and what my legacy is. So thank you for that. But the fact that our reporting is being read and shapes those conversations, it's not about us like solving the problems of the world. It's about activating agency of citizens and residents who still care on what's happening in their community. I want this community to be better, sincerely. Pittsburgh is my home, it owns my heart, and I really love the people. I think that they're gonna do what's right. I just think that we have a long way to go in realizing our own agency. There is an old concept in American democracy of a free press as the fourth estate. We have three branches of government, and then in addition to government, we have a press that can stand outside of it and in a sense protect us against the dangers of totalitarianism and autocracy. While the future of journalism is not entirely known, we do know this. If our democracy is to have a future, a crucial part will be played by exhaustingly researched, truthful and honest journalism like that of Mila and Public Source. Journalism that honestly tells the stories of the powerless and the vulnerable in our society.